0: The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 9 through 29. Hear the word of the Lord. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them high up in a mountain where they were all alone. There he was, transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anything in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is God's word.
1: Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we praise you. We join in a song that's not just here in this room, but as brothers and sisters who've gone before us, the saints and the angels surround your throne. I pray that you would transfix our eyes upon you. Father, as we come to your word now, we seek your understanding and wisdom. May you soften our hearts. May you open our ears. May you unclutter our minds that we may know and see the reality of ourselves in the light of Christ's glory. May your word, Holy Spirit, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness that we may be more and more Christlike. And may our time of collective worship this morning strengthen us as we continue to live in the valley, to live in the shadow of the mountain. In your name we pray, amen. Well, How many of you have been to summer camp, a summer camp at some point in your life? I, I have grown up always going to summer camp, and for some it might bring back uh, fond memories, uh, it might bring back images and feelings. Uh, for me, it, it was a wonderful time. Uh, that's me, senior year. I'm with the camp director there, Bob. What a what a great camp director named Bob, right? Um, sorry if there's any Bobs in here. Maybe you missed your calling. Maybe you should be a camp director. Sorry. Um, I... I I, I loved it. It was a great time away, right? And, and for 11 years, we've been taking middle schoolers to TVR. And that's, if you know the Levinsons, that's Nathaniel Levinson and Zach Miller. Um, they were in the first service, so this was really a first service joke, sorry. Anyway, whether it was summer camp or some vacation spot, right? Don't, don't we all have some place, some refuge that we just kind of wish we could be and stay at? Right? Some place that we could, we could just get away and just not have to deal with the day-to-day, not have to deal with the reality of, of our lives. But the truth is, we have to come back. And at camp, there's always that last night, that campfire moment where promises are made, I'm going to be different this year, and everybody goes to bed. Well, at least the people that have to drive home the next day go to bed. But we come back right? We come back off the mountain and into the valley. We're not called to stay there. We can't stay there. And, and I start here because in these 27 verses, we this is a large passage, right? But we see that there's a mountain moment and there's a valley moment. We see that Jesus and the three that went with him went up to the mountain for what we call the transfiguration, truly a metamorphosis. But they had to come back down into the mess of the next section, the disciples' failed attempt at exorcism. And what we've got to realize for our own lives and what we have to admit to is that we live in the valley. We live in the shadow of the mountain. Lord of the Rings reference, check. We, we, we live in the valley and we even long for the mountain as much as we long to go back to that vacation spot, back to that refuge, back to that place. If we can just skip this time in the valley, but well, we can't. Now that's my framework for this morning. My framework is kind of two major sections, right? The the mountain, the transfiguration, and the valley, the exorcism with some sub-thoughts off of those. And I'm not going to cover everything in the passage, but if you want to chat, feel free to come up afterwards or uh, this week, get in touch with me about some of the other things uh, in the passage. Uh, But as we go, a quick context point here to understand. So, in in the Gospel of Mark, this chapter 9, the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9 are kind of the turning point for the Gospel. They're they're the hinge point for the Gospel, the place where where prior we go from king to cross. It's a place now where he sets his eyes on Jerusalem, he sets his eyes on the cross. He's revealed himself as the king over nature, over disease, over spirits but now he begins his descent to the cross. He still does miracles, right? In the very next section, he does an exorcism, but he has turned his attention to what's before him. So the, the transfiguration, it's, it's this moment that's both a, a revelation of the reality of this Jesus of Nazareth, but it's also a moment of, of collective worship to give Jesus and the disciples there what they need for the road ahead. I think this is important for us to grasp. The the disciples and the early readers of Mark were living during a time where there was a large, dark cloud of tribulation over them. And this moment, this white flash, where Jesus reveals he is truly more than meets the eye, transformer reference, where, 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 sorry, I can't help myself, i got a couple more weird ones coming. He, he changes right before their eyes. He's truly metamorphized. He's, he's transmogrified. That's a Calvin and Hobbes reference. In, in, this, in this flash, Jesus reveals the splendor of who he really is. But it also acts as a promise for the disciples and the readers of Mark, and I think for us, of what's to come. It it, it reveals that following Jesus, as he said in chapter 8, verse 34, will lead through suffering, will lead through the valley, but that's not going to be in vain. That's not going to be for nothing. By the way, if you missed Rick's sermon last week on chapter 8, verse 34, I highly encourage you, go back and listen to it. So we come to this moment where the veil gets lifted, the veil gets pulled back, and his true essence, which has always been there, but kind of hidden in the depths of this carpenter, gets revealed, and it breaks through, and it becomes like a crack in the universe. Dr. Who reference. It it becomes this moment where the disciples get to see behind the curtain. And in this moment, two important figures show up. Peter makes a, a bumbling attempt to speak up. And Jesus, or God, like at Jesus' baptism, audibly speaks. Now, first, I want to mention Elijah Elijah, and Mo- Moses and the significance of them showing up. Many point at them as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jewish writers point to them as uh, the deathless ones, along with Enoch. But I also think it's a moment where in their lives we see a, a prefigured Jesus in the experience of the coming rejection and suffering that he's going to fa- face. Elijah models the despair in the wilderness. The despair that he, 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 Elijah has in the wilderness, that Jesus has in the wilderness. And in Moses, we see being rejected by his very own people. And with their reappearance, it's it's this moment of, so the disciples can grasp, your king is going to suffer for you. And this glimpse of of his coming glory, right, not just coming glory, right, but his pre-Bethlehem glory, his pre-incarnation glory, this glimpse is reminiscent of Moses in another way. The the readers again of Mark uh, would remember, and maybe you remember the time when Moses wanted to see God's face. He asked God, I want to see your face, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. And God says, You can't. It will kill you. It will destroy you. So what God does for Moses is he tucks him into a cleft of a rock and has him turn his back and he passes by. And as he's passing by the tail end of him, of, of, of the glory of God, Moses gets to look, the 2%. And he comes down off the mountain and his face is just shining. So much so that the people are like, whoa, buddy, cover it up. It, this is, I can't look at you. This is, it's too bright. So we have Jesus shining, but not a reflection of glory like the moon reflects the sun, but the sun himself. The glory is intrinsic to himself. And Peter, James, and John, they don't die. They don't die. They're not consumed. Now they're fearful, they're dumbfounded. To the point that Peter kind of has to speak up and he doesn't know what he's saying. He just ha- has to say something. He you know, has to fill that awkward silence that sometimes we feel the need to do when there's too long of a pause. But he doesn't perish. It's a moment where we get to see the work that Christ is about to accomplish in his death and resurrection. That we get to now be in the presence of God. Now, Peter's response was good in a way, but misguided. Again, it, 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 it was out of confusion, out of the moment of, I, 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 don't, I can't even explain what I'm seeing. How about, how about we just stay here? It was, it was out of a desire to stay in the glory, to stay on the mountain. And John Chrysostom, a 4th century bishop, puts it this way. He says, Peter wanted to settle down in this security of temporary bliss. Not wanting to go down and preventing the going down to Jerusalem and to the cross. But down they must go. Suffering must happen. And suffering and glory are not incompatible And this is why the cloud appears. This is why God shows up and then and 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 speak. And the disciples, they cover themselves, but again, they're not consumed by God's presence. And God speaks and he reminds them: listen to him. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. I mean, that's, that's the story of the Bible, right? And the disciples. Listen to him. Let me say it again, listen to him. It's like when I'm trying to talk to my kid. Are you even listening? I've said it 30 times in the last 10 seconds. Listen. This is our call. This is what we have before us. And as Rick asked last week, who do you say he is? I asked this week, will you listen to him? And if you want to know what he's saying, again, we could go back to 834. Listening to him means following him. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. In other places in the Gospels, he says, love as I have loved you. When he's washing the disciples' feet, he says, I've set before you an example. Now go and do likewise. It's a call to self-sacrifice. It's a call to selfless Love, the giving of ourselves away. Listening to Jesus, following Jesus, means that we walk back into the valley. Just as he walked into our valley, just as he walked into this world, just as he walked into our mess, are we going to listen to him? It means following him back into the valley. And, And I think valley living pushes on our comforts. Valley Living pushes on our ease, on our safety, pushes on our individualism. Just as Jesus rubbed shoulders with the least of these, so we must listen and follow. And this should push us to connect with people that are not like us. And this isn't normal for us. I'll be the first to raise my hand. Comfort and safety, what's easy for me. Comfort and safety is what's easy for me to just kind of aim at and settle in. This takes conscious action and choice. Left to ourselves, that's what we're going to aim for. That's what the culture pushes us for. I think there's a, there's a recent study that I think kind of illustrates this a little bit. In 2015, Duke University put out a 10-year study that they did on, on, on charter schools. And they have shown that there's a rise in resegregation in North Carolina because of charter schools. There's a rise in division between race and socioeconomics. And obviously, we we, we, we want our kids to to, to go to good schools and to be safe. But we have to ask, is it just reinforcing me to stay around like-minded people? Like-classed people? Same-skinned people? And that's a a big scale. I think on a small scale, I, I like to hang around with people that I know, that I'm comfortable with, that know me. I don't like getting to know new people. And it's easy for me to go, well, I'm an introvert. That's who I am. But we must listen to him. And we must step out of our comfort zones. Because if we're honest, would we rather find and try and live on our mountains, our places of comfort and safety? Good things. But we need to ask ourselves are we fighting to stay there? Are we willing to find and walk into the valley? For some, this might mean the call to move, to move into a place where you are vastly different. For others, it might mean regu- uh, volunteering more regularly with nonprofits that puts you in connection with other people, whether partners that, that we partner with or someone else in the city. Greg and Samantha Buxton lead a, a, a Meals uh, for, for homeless people. They go into Uptown. You can join with that. This might mean stepping into the children's ministry or the student ministry, whether you have kids or your kids are all grown. A great place to start is Charlotte Serve next week. We must be willing to follow him, but we have to ask him, where is that? And I need to be honest with myself. Now, following him into the valley, I think, reveals two possible, if we're honest with ourselves, two two possible things within us in a posture that we're called to. And this is the valley. And now as we step into the valley... uh, Again, so th- this is a, a demonic possession going on here, and, and Rick said a few weeks ago, and I think it's good to comment again on the last time Jesus exercised a demon. Rick drew out the fact that if, if, we're, if we believe that there's a good being, then it's sensible to believe that there are evil beings. Unless you're a staunch atheist who only believes in the material, then it's not far-fetched to be open to these things. And and even if some, I know some translations talk about the fact that uh, the the boy uh, was epileptic, but we see throughout Scripture that the enemy often exploits frailties, exploits weaknesses, exploits maladies and such. So as we follow Jesus, Peter, James, and John on the mountain into the valley, we find our other disciples in dispute. We find them bickering, we find them arguing. We see that they're failing at bringing about a healing. They're trying to exercise a demon, but as we see in verse 29, they're attempting it without prayer. Their failure reveals their need for prayer. The disciples, they didn't see how weak, when left to themselves, they really were. They didn't see how proud they were. They thought they had it. We've done this before. God, Jesus sent us out in pairs. We've exercised demons before. We're the natural experts on this now. We know what we're doing. And ultimately, I think that they underestimated the power of evil in the world and in themselves. The disciples at their core had lost a sense of dependency upon Jesus. They they lost sight of the fact that in spiritual conflict, there is no automatic power, but power that relies upon dependency upon Jesus. This is a helplessness of sorts. And I think that their faithlessness is is symptomatic of, of a human condition, right? We... We have false pride in our abilities, and it leads us to uh, attempt to exert control in places when, in reality, if if we were honest, we really don't have a lot of control. I think also it's symptomatic of we underestimate the power of the enemy. We underestimate the power and the work that he has and does in the world around us, and 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 the sin in our own lives. There's a uh, so there's a movie called Usual Suspects, and I can't say that I recommend it. But um, uh, there's this amazing line in it, and Ke- so Kevin Spacey is is the main character, and his his nickname is Verbal because he talks a lot, and and so he's in jail with a, a group of other guys, and they get pulled into this big job, this really really big job, uh, and. And it's for this legendary criminal called, his name is Kaiser Soze, which nobody has ever seen. Nobody's ever really met. But, but he apparently has his, his fingers into a whole host. Of, if you've never seen this movie, he's a lot like Moriarty, if you know Sherlock, right? And, you know, who's dead. And then all of a sudden he's, sorry, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to break. Sherlock's a phenomenal series, by the way. If you're not watching it, you're missing out. So anyway, Sorry. So Kevin Spacey, he, they're on this job for this guy named Kaiser Soze, and everything goes wrong, and there's this big gun battle, and he's the only one that survives, and so he's being questioned by the police. And so they ask him, who is Kaiser Soze? He admits, nobody's ever seen him. Nobody really knows if you're working for him or not. Turns out that they were, but that's his power. And then Kevin Spacey says this. He says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And like that, poof, he's gone. Do we underestimate the power of the enemy in, in our world? Do we underestimate the power of the enemy in our lives? Do we think we have it all under control? Only running to Jesus when things don't go our way. Or will our posture in the valley, in the shadow of the mountain, will our posture be one of dependency, one of helplessness, one of time spent on our knees? And this leads me to our our second major character in this portion of the story, the troubled father and his, his desperation and yet his need for faith. In the Father, we not only see helplessness, but we see a repentant helplessness. We see, we see a posture that I believe should be ours as well. Now, I want to draw you to, in verse 21, you see some pretty awesome compassion by Jesus. He, he asked the Father, how long has your son been like this? He knew. He was Jesus, right? He, he, he kind of, he knew. But, By asking the Father, he allows the Father to unburden himself. Come to me, all who are weary. And I can't imagine the pain that the Father felt. I can't imagine the pain of a mother and a father who lose their child. The helplessness. But Jesus shows divine compassion to this Father and to us. And the Father's plea, I believe, help my unbelief reveals that he knew, he knew Jesus could do it, and yet his faith had been battered and shaken over the years. Living out your faith is not easy. And it can grow more and more difficult when tragedy after tragedy hits you. But Jesus does not expect this man to rid himself of unbelief, but it's in the man's admittance of this unbelief that he acts. We all have to admit at some point our faith increases and decreases. At some point our faith waxes and wanes. There's an old Cademan's Call song that talks about, my faith is like the shifting sands, but I find myself standing on your grace. See, through Jesus, it's not our perfect faith that he needs or that we need. It's a posture of repentant helplessness. I think I think this is how we access the presence of God. And this posture is countercultural. In in the stew, in the culture in which we live, the culture's focus is pride and self-love and self-focus and individual willpower to do things on your own. And if we don't see that, if we're not aware of that, we might lose our sense of dependency upon Jesus. both in the disciples and in the Father, we see repentant helplessness. It's not some fake trust. It's not some bold swagger, but it's a contrite heart that says, Lord, I need you every hour. Every hour, I need you. And I think that this means being quick to apologize, quick to forgive quick to admit you might be wrong, quick to understand rather than be understood, quick to admit my sins, quick to admit my pride, quick to admit my misunderstanding, quick to give the benefit of the doubt, but ultimately quick to run to Jesus and admit my need. This is to be our posture as we live in the valley, as we live in the shadow of the mountain, but know that a valley means between two mountains. Yes, we must be willing to listen to Him. Yes, we must be willing to live in a posture of of open hands, but there is another mountain to come. Christ will return. And that is our hope, to continue to be faithful in the valley. Because we need that. Because... As he took up his cross, and we have the call to do the same, it's not easy. But as cross and glory are linked in his life, they will be linked in our own. You know, Kevin preached uh, a few weeks back, and he talked about miracle amnesia. And I wonder if sometimes the church in America can get stuck in, in suffering amnesia, or glory amnesia, whichever way you want to look at it. We talk about the many blessings that he has for us, the good that he has for us, the happiness that he has for us. Hashtag blessed life. And then we take a selfie with, with whatever it is. And we forget to listen to the call to take up your cross and follow him. We forget the call for self sacrifice, for suffering. We can't skip suffering 101 and expect to jump right to senior level glory. The disciples showed reluctance to follow. They they wanted the power now to be great now, to be rewarded now. But if if they if we are to share in those aspects of Christ's glory, of his greatness, we must share in his suffering. We must live in the valley. In fact, Paul says this in Romans 8:17. He says, We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order. That we may also share in his glory. My question is are we willing to listen to him, even if he says, Give up that, whatever that is? And may we hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. May we be a people who understand we live in the mountain, or sorry, in the valley. We long for the mountain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have stepped off your throne, stepped out of glory, stepped out of the beautiful surrounding of heaven and into our mess and into this place. You chose to dwell among us. To redeem us. And Lord, you call us to follow you. We are thankful for the work that you have accomplished in life and death and resurrection. And the fact that, Lord, it's not our perfect faith that puts us in relationship with you, that lets us be in your presence Lord, I pray also you would grant us strength to step out of our comfort zones, to step out of our safety, to give ourselves away. Father, make us instruments of your peace. I pray that we would seek to understand rather than be understood, that we would seek to console rather than be consoled, that we would seek to love rather than be loved. And Father, as we give you our tithes and our offerings, that is but a small act of worship, a small act of dependency upon you. It says, yes, Lord, I will listen to you. And yes, I trust that you will be faithful to me. And Father, as we do give, I pray that you would use it to widen the crack in the universe. To further your kingdom. Not that Stonebridge may be known, but you, Christ, may be known in this community, in Charlotte, and all across the world. In your saving name we pray. Amen.